It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Efforts to contain pollution from a sunken scallop boat off Kodiak Island have cost more than $3 million in less than a month. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, the wreckage of the St. Patrick lies testament to one of Alaska's deadliest fishing disasters decades ago and remains an environmental hazard today. The St. Patrick has rested on the bottom of a women's bay for more than 30 years, a wreck nearly forgotten until August 3rd, when an alert passerby noticed an oily sheen on the water's surface. Since then, the state's Spill Prevention and Response Division has been coordinating with divers and deployed booms. Responders say around 10,000 gallons of water mixed with petroleum have been removed. We're making really good progress on removing fuels and this oily water from the vessel so that we can make sure that it doesn't continue sheening. Jade Gamble has been leading the state's on-scene response. And we intend to, to get this vessel as clean as possible so that we don't have to come back. Records are spotty on how the derelict St. Patrick ended up on the seafloor. Officials only know it went down sometime in 1989 after being moored nearby for several years. I'm I'm not even for sure of the date that it actually sunk. But the story goes back several years earlier. And for many in Kodiak's commercial fishing community, the vessel's pollution has dragged up memories of one of Alaska's most devastating fishing disasters that claimed nine lives in 1981. It was a mismanaged boat to begin with. Bill Harrington is a retired commercial fisherman in Kodiak. You know, it, it was over 200 tons, so it's supposed to have a license master, mate, and engineer. And then I know when it sank, the captain took the trip off and put this guy in charge that didn't have a license. But the owners ordered the St. Patrick to fish for scallops anyway in late November. Kodiak Maritime Attorney Jerry Markham represented one of the two survivors and several families of victims. And the mate went out in in very serious storm and uh, got side to the seas and uh, the boat rolled so far over that it took water into the air intakes and uh, uh, flooded the engine and that's what um, caused the crew to panic. The batteries had become waterlogged and someone in the crew became convinced that they could explode, which was unfounded, but that was the fear. They, they hired these kids out of um, um, Homer, a couple of them were under 20 as I recall, uh, and they were for shuckers. Um, that's all their job was, was to shuck scallop. Uh, they didn't know anything about maritime. And They were 13 miles offshore when the order was given to abandon ship for a life raft, but it blew out of reach. Three of the crew members didn't have survival suits, which in the frigid waters gave them only minutes to live. The boys in survival suits, of course, they lasted, you know, 10 hours and watched each one of them slowly die uh, until the, the last two got cast on different parts of the shore because they were separated. Only two of the 11 crews survived after washing ashore in nearby Marmot Island. The disabled St. Patrick rolled in the rough seas, but never foundered. It's, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's such a tragedy because of the nature of the accident. If the boys had only stayed with the boat. It was salvaged a few days later and towed back to Women's Bay, where it remains today in 60 feet of water. Jerry Markham spent the next decade in litigation against the four principal owners of the St. Patrick's Holding Company. The court found the corporation was a shell and uh, and what we call pierced the corporate veil and held them 
all responsible for the accident. It went to federal appeals twice before the court awarded a final payout of nearly $8 million to the two survivors and the estate of nine crew members lost in 1981. That wasn't until the late 80s, and during all that time, the abandoned St. Patrick sat in Women's Bay. You know, like I said, I wasn't really concerned with the vessel. We were we were just looking at the, the situation, collecting something for the, the people. Apparently nobody was, and the 20-odd-ton ship rusted on its moorings while legal battles were fought onshore in federal court. The salver, I don't know if he ever got anything out of it, but for this boat that nobody wanted to, to touch because it was quote, a ghost ship. Bill Harrington, who fished all through the 1980s, remembers the empty St. Patrick as a fixture on Women's Bay. It was visible from the road, until one day in 1989, it wasn't. You know, any boat isn't going to stay afloat if no one's taking care of it. And no one was taking care of that one either. Kodiak's harbor officials say there are no records explaining exactly when or why the ship went down. Harbor master Mike Cernowski says he's been calling around. And nobody really has any information, asking around to a couple other folks, so it's a uh, difficult story to find, but we'll keep on keep on trying to see if we can figure out if somebody, somebody here knows. Meanwhile, first responders are moving into their second month, trying to contain any pollution from the sunken ship. The Coast Guard has tapped into federal cleanup funds, with about $3 million in public money spent so far. Efforts to track down those who could be held liable have been fruitless, says Jade Gamble, the on-scene coordinator. Many of the businesses that um, owned or were involved with this vessel in the 80s are now out of business, and so there's not been a responsible party identified. It's a familiar type of story. Abandoned vessels are a challenge across Alaska, with state lawmakers in recent years mandating titles to track ownership and using those fees to establish a fund to deal with derelict ships that are a hazard to navigation and the environment. Jerry Markham, the maritime lawyer, says he thought the St. Patrick was a tragedy from another era, but yet he's still answering questions about it. It's, uh, it's crazy that they're still having these problems with it, and um, um, but um, modern times have changed. Like I said, it's uh, they're, they're much more concerned about pollution these days. The ghost ship that claimed nine souls still casts a shadow of sorts over the waters of Women's Bay. Hundreds of feet of boom encircle the area to keep the oily waste from reaching the shoreline. But this wrecked scallop boat that inexplicably sank more than 30 years ago still isn't completely at rest. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Alongside revitalization of a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration facility in Ketchikan is officially underway. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, the project aims to give the NOAA ship Fairweather a permanent home. Local, state, and federal officials plunged gold-painted shovels into two long, narrow wooden boxes filled with dirt Tuesday morning. Ready? Let's dig in. The ceremonial groundbreaking marks the beginning of work on an $18.7 million project. There will be a new office building, utility upgrades, and most importantly, a floating pier to accommodate the NOAA research vessel Fairweather and its 50-plus crew. NOAA's Rear Admiral Nancy Hahn says the facility will support fisheries research, hydrographic surveys, and the local economy. By revitalizing this facility, we can bring a steady flow of officers, our professional mariners, our logistical support specialist, and our scientists to this city, creating a hub for NOAA's maritime operations in the regions. 
The project has long been a priority for local and state officials. As industrial-scale logging slowed around the turn of the 21st century, the late U.S. Senator Ted Stevens used his position as chairman of the Appropriations Committee to require NOAA to homeport the Fairweather here in Ketchikan. The agency purchased a dock and some oceanfront property in an industrial area south of downtown Ketchikan, but in 2008, the agency determined the dock couldn't be repaired and it was condemned. Senator Dan Sullivan, a longtime advocate of the project, credits Ketchikan's elected leaders with keeping the pressure on. You know, this is a story, what we're seeing right now, um, of first, relentless advocacy in a community, Ketchikan, all its leaders, its tribal leaders, who would not take no for an answer, right? Who refused to say, we're going to give up this ship, which by law is supposed to be homeported here, and uh, so we're not going to take no for an answer. He pointed to the efforts of State Senator Burt Stedman, who redirected some federal money to Ketchikan's borough to help pay for the project. The Sitka Republican says he's pushing for more federal spending in Ketchikan. Uh, we are actually talking about the second phase of this expansion. You know, right after we get the ribbon cut, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be working with Senator Sullivan and Noah, hopefully for expanded assets. U.S. Deputy Commerce Secretary Don Graves, whose agency oversees NOAA, says discussions aren't yet underway for a second phase of the Ketchikan port project, but he says he's open to finding more ways for the Biden administration to grow infrastructure investment in Ketchikan. The Commerce Department is focused on finding ways to, to grow uh, economic development in this community and other parts of the region. So we're open to having whatever conversations uh, the senator and others would like to have about ways that we can drive that economic opportunity. The new NOAA facility will be built by Glen Allen-based regional native corporation Atna. Construction is scheduled to wrap up by December 2022. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a quick look at the weather for Sitka for today, Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Today, rain likely, highs in the upper 50s, southeast winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Tomorrow, rain, excuse me, tonight, rain, lows in the lower 50s, southeast winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Tomorrow, rain likely, highs in the upper 50s, south winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. And now taking a quick look at our community calendar, the Search Tennessee Springs Clinic provider is in town through Saturday, September 4th. Call the clinic at 907-736-1135 for more information. Good morning.